you're listening to the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. The stable token platform, Maker, is the focus of today's episode. It's a mature design that builds on both the academic and technological legacy of BitShares. It's live right now and has been for months. This show is a great follow-on from episode 16 with Dominic Williams. I mean, our name is MakerDAO, DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And then the product is called DAI, which obviously is close to DAO. So. I understand the confusion there. We I mean when we we internally when we talk about our organization, we always just call it Maker. Like that's yeah. For me, DAO DAO is more. Of, it's like saying LTD after your name all the time in a sense, right? It's it's like a it's just like a, a something that denotes what type of organization it is, as far as I'm concerned. So like, but overall, I actually like the connection between DAO and Dai, like those two, you know, because I think I think the nice words. So yeah. Yeah, they are really good. Uh, so, what is the what is the the DAI? So, it's actually interesting. It's a DAI. Um, so, one way to uh, to pr- to explain that is that it's DAI is decentralized autonomous insurance. So that's actually a, a backronym. You know, like it's the original reason why we chose the word DAI or why I chose that word was because it's like a Chinese word that means to lend. Which like plays into how it's a part of the Dai credit system, you know, the like how it's a peer to be a credit market and so on. And then the the, the currency token holding that kind of represents having injected capital into the system. So it's kind of like lending money out to hold Dai. Um, and then randomly, it turns out that the backronym decentralized autonomous insurance can be made, which was actually something that uh, one of our Chinese community members came up with because. While I thought it was really cool to have a Chinese word as inspiration for the name, in China they, you know, because then it's like exotic and foreign to me, right? Then in China they have the same thing. So they don't want a Chinese word. They want like an English word because, <laughs> because they also want it to be exotic and foreign, yeah. <laughs> so over there it's called Dai Bond, Decentralized Autonomous Insured Bond. Uh, so that's, that's pretty interesting. But it's actually it's a really good uh, backronym though because in a sense... What the die and maker is all about is insurance, wealth insurance specifically, or like collateral insurance, right? It's like about it's about trust that if you hold some money in die, then you can be absolutely sure that the purchasing power of that money is going to stay stable over time and and in, even grow uh, in tandem with the growth of the global economy, which is our goal. So it's like perfect stability both in the short term and the long term. Okay, so that is uh, that's a good introduction to the um, to what you guys are working on. But let's get into what how the uh, how the die system works, and let's also talk about the DAO. So, wh- which do you think would be better to start with? Well, I think it makes more sense to start with the die, um, and specifically, I, I think the best way to start is to explain its uh, spiritual predecessor, which is BitUSD from BitShares which is a project we actually work with a lot, and we use them for, for some of our exchange stuff. Um, and both me and Nikolai, the, the lead developer of Maker, came from BitShares and the BitShares community. And it's from there, like it's, it's from that community that the original stablecoin Nic- design was invented. Is that Nikolai Mashigian? Yeah, exactly. He used to be a core developer. No way. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I know. He, he was one of the people who kind of really helped me get into podcasting. Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, he's a lead developer, you know, he's a freaking... He's the man. Programming and uh, smart contract genius. So he's he's the one making this entire crazy monetary, like autonomous monetary possible, uh, autonomous monetary policy possible in the first place. I was waiting for him to crop up again because yeah, I hadn't really heard. heard um, 
heard oh, yeah. anything from him for like you know for almost two years. So he's, like, he's coming back, and he's coming back with uh, a <laughs> vengeance. They actually just like he just did a presentation at the Ethereum headquarters in Berlin, uh, which was basically about all the the tools that were necessary to create in order to like create a good I'd say like a good groundwork for for, for the the implementation of Maker and the Dai itself. But so. Yeah, so both me and Nikolai, we come from the BitShares community, and he actually used to work uh, for BitShares as a core developer, and he worked on their stablecoin, which is called BitUSD. Well, now they call them smart coins, and they have several of them. And uh, well, I'll, for simply, like for simplicity, I'll just say BitUSD as their stablecoin. But actually, they have multiple because their their system is just a system that's able to pick currencies or pick pick coins to to external currencies or external assets. So the way BitUSD works is basically one BitUSD is always worth one real USD because um, the way, like the, the key is the way BitUSD enters and exits the money supply. So you can only, like new BitUSD only enters the money supply when someone, um, I think they call borrows it. from In our terminology for Maker, we call issue, like we call it issuing. So BitUSD only comes into existence when someone issues it by backing that issuance with collateral. So that's the entire key. The reason why the stable value and the reason why we can control the value is because we have collateral that backs these these uh, PEC tokens or these stable tokens that sit in the blockchain. So this is like going long USD, right? Yeah, in a, in a sense, you could argue like the way it basically works is there's two parties. There's one person who wants more exposure to the collateral. So in, with BitShares, this is more exposure to BTS. With us, it could be more exposure to Ether or gold through Digis Global, for instance. Um, and then there's another party who wants stability. And then it's basically just a simple trade where one person gets stability, so a, a USD peg token, and the other party gets volatility or ex- increased exposure, right? Leverage, as you're saying, margin trading. Um, and that's really the basic system. Like because you're able to split those two things up, you can you can like turn the collateral into basically at a margin position and then the stable position on the other side. And then the way, it's like, the, the, the beauty of it, or the magic, or whatever you want to call it, is that you can take this, like, this, this stable position that can actually be turned into a token that's fungible and can be transferred just like Bitcoin, right? And that's, that's, a, that's how a stablecoin is created and, and exists. So it's this stable position that you can send around and you can trade and you can use just like a Bitcoin. And then when you want, like, when the way the... The stability is enforced is that you can always go back to either the, the person who issued your specific BitUSD or anyone else who issued any BitUSD and exchange the, the money back in return. So that's how BitUSD works, right? And, and the DAI is it's the same thing except more advanced, basically. Um, because among other, so first of all, it's not pegged to the USD. Uh, it actually starts off pegged to the USD, but that's like entirely temporary and uh, it, it will it will begin at exactly one usd and then it will immediately decouple and be deflationary over time um, in fact specifically what is what it starts off pegged to is um, one usd worth of sdr and the sdr is um, it's called it's a special drawing right it's a currency basket maintained by the imf that includes all the major world currencies uh, with like special weighting Based around the, the size of their economies and their their significance in global trade, um, and f- we basically looked at we, we just looked at what asset like the best asset we could possibly find as a reference point for a stablecoin. And the SDR is simply globally it's the least volatile asset in existence that is used at a major scale. So we use that asset as our reference point for all value in the system. Um, but we actually like we're not pegged to it in the traditional sense. Um, instead, the die constantly fluctuates in value um, by basically, um, yeah, by being deflationary. And the reason the reason why it is deflationary is because the others, like the, the the volatile or the margin position, right, the the other end of the deal, the person who is creating the stablecoin in order to get uh, get more capital and and get more exposure. Um, they are they are borrowing capital in a sense, right? Like I said earlier, holding die, holding a stable coin is kind of like injecting capital into a credit system, 
And because of that, because uh, the issuer is borrowing capital, he has to pay some sort of cost for that. Just like when you borrow money from the bank to go out and do some business venture, you also have to pay an interest rate. And, and it works the same way in our system, except that, that the payment isn't an explicit interest rate. It's just deflation on the currency that you have to pay back. Um, so, let's, so to give an example of how it works, right? Um, like you can use any type of collateral with a diet credit system. Wait, wait, deflation or or a reduction in the value of the currency? Because typically I think deflation, I think an increase in the value of the currency. Right, it is an increase in the value. Like deflation in, in traditional uh, monetary sense. So like price deflation, right? The prices deflate, um, become lower over time. And in our, so in our, it, like from our point of view, it's, it, it can also be considered appreciation in the value in terms of SDR. So like, Right when the system begins, one um, one die will be worth exactly one USD worth of SDR, right? Which is around zero point seven three, around that area. And then let's say after one year, the deflation rate could have been something like three percent over the course of a year. And at the end of the year, one die could now be worth zero point seven six, right? So it went from zero point seven three to zero point seven six, um, and that deflation means that people who, who issued DAI in the beginning of the year, they only received 0.73 SDR worth of capital when they sold off the DAI and, and went out and did business with that money or invested into more Ether or something to get leverage. Um, and then at the end of the year, when they have to close the position again, if that's what they want to do, there's actually no explicit term limits. So potentially it could be more than one year or less or anything, right? That's one of the features of the system. But um, let's say that after one year they want to close it, they they just have to pay more when they go out on the market to buy up new dye. And actually, just to just to clarify, like the way it works is, you create this thing called a CDP, a collateralized debt position. Um, it's like a smart contract that sits on Ethereum, and you put your collateral into it. Let's say Ether, probably the most popular collateral in the beginning will be Ether. So it makes sense that lots of people use that, and it'll be something like you put, let's say, hundred and fifty dollars worth of Ether into the CDP sitting on Ethereum. Um, and then with that, there is, some, like, there is some risk parameter in the system that then decides how much DAI you're able to issue with that $150 worth of Ether. Let's say $100 worth of DAI is what you're able to issue. You then, you then get this DAI, like you just get it printed out of nothing. Now you have the DAI in your hand and you can go out and spend it. But the, the flip side is you can no longer access the collateral until you pay down the debt, which actually means destroying the equivalent amount of die. So that comes back to this thing where all that matters is how the, the stablecoin enters and exits circulation. And, and again, it's, like a, it's the thing where it enters circulation when someone puts up an, a valuable asset to collateralize the value, and it exits circulation when the issuer or someone like, wants to get um, the collateral back. And in that way, the system ensures that every single die that's outstanding always, no matter what, guaranteed has um, excess collateral backing it. So if there's a million die in existence, you can be you can be like you can be certain that there's going to be more than a million die worth of liquid assets sitting on the blockchain, ready to buy back um, these stable coins at their at, at around well actually at the target price, which is like the 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 pseudo pick that we that constantly changes that we target. Yeah, this this but the point the point is is like this and then like the like these like there are like multiple complex uh, mechanics that play into this and people should read the white paper and like they'll be able to oh, okay actually specifically there's two two mechanics specifically. There's like a long term and a short term one. And I won't get too much into it, but the point is that the very long term, you can be basically guaranteed that the die will always be worth just around the target price, plus minus the, the deflation over time, right? Um, and because of that, then because there's this long term guarantee, that sort of translates into a short term um, similar market price because because of the same reasons why futures always um, like trade just around the the price that they they will execute at in the long term because. You know, like if you know something's going to be worth one dollar a year from now, you can also be you can also pretty much pay one dollar for it today. Like the only difference is the the risk free interest rate, like the amount of money that you could 
that it will like it could potentially appreciate with over time if you invested it. But so yeah, these these mechanics combined then then create a system where there's basically just always a profit motive for all the actors involved to to try to like nudge the die price towards the target price, which is what we want to go have it to have it go towards. Um, and this just creates a, a sort of negative feedback loop, where um, like any time there's a deviation in one direction of the price, all the the profit incentive in the market and and all the actors incentives cause them to go in and push the price back towards the target price. So that is how the uh, so that's how it maintains a stable value. I have a couple of questions. Um, Dominic Williams laid out a lot of the stuff. Um, so what about the, the volatility of, uh, of Ether or the underlying asset, right? Um, and in the, case of, uh, in the case of Digix, we're talking about uh, relying on Digix to back the, to, to provide the backing. So is, is, that, is that a concern or how have you mitigated that? Right, so that's a good point. Um, and what you're actually approaching on is the question of what's called black swan events. But what it means is like a crazy, fast, violent crash in the collateral backing a stablecoin that causes this collateral to, um, to like basically not be enough to, to back the outstanding stablecoin. And uh, the reason why it has to be really fast and, and why it's called a black swan event is because there's always like there's, there's inbuilt mechanisms that are able to autonomously reduce the supply in response to a, a falling collateral value. So like if the Ether price over time starts falling, at a, like a reasonable pace. Then what happens is some of the CDPs, some of the collateralized debt positions, which are the smart contracts that hold the Ether as collateral and which are the ones that initially issued the die and are holding this debt in return that has to be paid down before the collateral can be retrieved. These CDPs can actually go out and autonomously use the collateral they hold to buy back, um, to buy back die from the market and then pay down their own debt and then release the remaining collateral. So the system autonomously starts reducing the die supply in response to a fall in the value of the collateral, which makes sense because you know, like if the if the if the assets and the the wealth backing the money supply starts falling, it makes sense that the money supply itself also starts reducing. So the black swan event is when when this this autonomous mechanism doesn't kick in or is just like overrun because the collateral value just crashes so fast that there's no chance to go out in the market and, and get the buy back the stable coin and reduce the supply in time with a collateral crash. In fact, with, with Digis Global, you know, like the risk with them is potentially that the entire link between their the gold in their vaults and the, the asset on the blockchain just disappears overnight. Yeah. So the entire like all the gold in the system just goes from having, you know, some value to zero, which is the IOU risk, right? The counterparty risk where like in a sense, it's actually the goxing risk, right? Where like suddenly all the all the Bitcoin amount gox turns out to be worth nothing, and and that risk always exists when there is an IOU. So onto the solution. The most basic way to explain how we deal with this is uh, to look at the name of the die, right? It's decentralized autonomous insurance. Like so, there's an entire insurance scheme built into the system designed to mitigate this risk regardless of, of what kind of form it takes. So even so it could be it could be like the Bitcoin type of risk where you just have crazy price swings and, and you could just have Bitcoin falling to half its value overnight. Um, you could also have um, like the, the IOU risk, which something like Digis Global Gold has, where it could actually go completely to zero in case there's like some legal issue. Um, and in all cases we, we fix that or we, we mitigate that through an insurance uh, like a standard insurance scheme. And then very high diversification in the collateral base, like in, the, in all the different types of collateral. So we make sure that basically the DAI maintains an extremely diversified collateral portfolio that has exposure to all kinds of sectors and industries and, and um, securities and commodities, bonds, um, like any asset type, essentially. Well, I mean, the, the first way we do it is just we accept anything that's on Ethereum, right? Like anything that sits on Ethereum um, and has a market price and, and is tradable there and, and can be represented digitally and isn't like an obvious scam or isn't run by someone we, we think are going to mess up in some way. 
Um, so initially, that means all the crypto projects, right? And they all provide some amount of, of diversification. But at the same time, you could argue that all crypto projects generally have a high level of correlation in their price swings. And for that reason, they alone are not good enough. Um, but that's where something like Digis Global Gold comes in, right? That's, it's, it's really useful because it has a completely different risk profile than something like Ether and, and Rep from Augur. Um, because it, it has a very low volatility, it doesn't swing crazy in value, but it does have that legal risk where it could completely uh, go to, to nothing. That being said, though, you know, currently I'm located, located in Singapore, and like I've researched this jurisdiction, Singapore, and really it is probably one of the safest uh, legal jurisdictions in the world for crypto. And uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's why Digis Global chose this place, because obviously they're highly incentivized to ensure their own asset isn't going to fail, basically. But that's also why we feel safe adding them, because like, the, the probability of, of Digis Global Gold failing is just extremely low, to the point where, with enough diversification, like, we, we would be able to, to basically mitigate... Even if it did happen, we, we, would have ha- we would have so much time, so to speak, or like so much, like the effect of the insurance would be so strong like that we would be able to basically mitigate it over time. And by the way, so the way ins- the insurance works is that it's actually just a f- like it's a fee that's taken on, in essence, you could say it's a fee that's taken on all outstanding DAI. Specifically, it's taken when you issue DAI. You also have to pay the insurance fee in addition to the deflation that you have to pay if you're an issuer in the system. And the two things, so like deflation represents the cost of borrowing capital from the die credit system. And the insurance fee represents the cost of, of maker basically have to ensure that you aren't gonna crash or you, you know, maker has to actually go in and, and check the validity and the the trustworthiness and just the sustainability of all the different collateral assets. And in return for this service, because then maker also takes on the risk, then Issuers pay the the insurance fee, and yeah. So basically, the way it then works is right. Let's let's uh, give an example of a, a black swan event. So let's say there's like five collateral types. There is uh, there's ether, there's Bitcoin, there's gold, there's rep, and um, and then uh, let's say USD. So there's some USD collateral, which is also by the way. Like something that does, it, it seems kind of counterintuitive why you would use US dollars as collateral. But it actually makes sense because if you're a market maker that, that does market making between DAI and US dollar, it's useful for you to be able to issue DAI and then earn the spread when you are, you're trading that, that, that pair. Um, but so, anyway, so there's these five types of collateral, and they, are, they all have like a piece of the pie in the sense that some, like let's say, 20% of the DAI are, are backed by each type of collateral. And then suddenly one day, uh, Bitcoin fails. Like Bitcoin goes to something like zero, right? Or goes to half its price, it goes to zero or something. Um, and suddenly 20% of all outstanding DAI is unbacked. What then happens is, in practice, uh, initially there's like emergency debt issued, as it's called. So like a whole bunch of new DAI are issued by Maker autonomously. So they just suddenly pop up um, and like fill in the, the void, so to speak, where, um, where the, the, the CDPs that were, that were backed by Bitcoin used to be. Um, and actually they buy them up in, in what's called a maker bailout. So maker ends up taking over all this Bitcoin that lost its value. Uh, and it goes into the maker fund, which is like a giant pool of money that mostly holds MKR, but can also hold these other assets if uh, a bailout happens. Um, and then, so now there's all these emergency debts, and like on paper, the, all the die is backed again. But of course, in reality, it's like there's it, it, it's it's not good enough to just create emergency debt and then say that's it. So what actually happens is um, the MKR supply, so like the asset that has a direct stake in the insurance uh, scheme, which is uh, MKR, right? The, pri- the the core token of Maker uh, starts inflating and then just starts being sold off autonomously for die on the market in order to raise die to pay down the emergency debt with them. And this like automatic forced inflation just continuously happens until all of the, the emergency debt has been paid down. 
and then this is where um, like this is where a risk one of the, the major risks with the system is that what if the emergency debt is so high that there's just no chance that um, that the MKR will ever be like the selling off the MKR will ever be enough to to pay down all the emergency debt and that's actually like that's actually a failure mode like if with a really really strong crash something like Bitcoin going to zero which I mean, in my opinion, it's very unlikely. Some like Bitcoin going to zero just doesn't seem likely to ever happen, unless there's like some sort of serious, crazy bug or something, right? But um, if that happened, like even if that happened, it wouldn't even necessarily kill the system. Even in fact, in the example like gave where something like twenty percent of the DAI are backed um, by Bitcoin. But this is assuming that you know this scenario happens when the die credit system is still relatively young, and uh, like let's say that like because in the beginning we can imagine that uh, the maker market cap itself is going to be significantly higher than the outstanding die that are in the that are in the die credit system because the amount of users using it is still relatively low and the amount of collateral is still quite low, and overall it's still in a fledging state. Um, where let's say if there's a million dime total, but the, the MKR market cap is fifty million dollars or something, then um, like then it would actually only be a, a, like an, an expense of two hundred thousand dollars, which I mean of course there's many factors that play into this, and you can't just say if you take two hundred thousand dollars out of an asset with a fifty million dollar market cap, then it goes to forty nine million eight hundred thousand. That's not how it works, obviously, um, but the thing that actually really matters is when you do forced inflation, like when the MKR supply is inflated and, um, and when you have these events, the big question is whether or not, it, it's not whether or not the system is able, like the system right now, like how that behaved in the past and how the insurance worked in the past. It's actually a question of how the insurance will be in the future because when you buy MKR, you are not, like you're buying into basically the future risk mitigation of the system. Um, so even with if there's like a major loss in the beginning, that happens due to some really weird irregularity. Or even uh, another thing is it could be really bad governance. Like if, if the system is just really badly run by, um, by the MKR owners, who are the ones that sets all the various parameters that decide like something like the collateral requirements for issuing DAI with Bitcoin, for instance, right? If they have been set in a terrible way so you can do 10x leverage with Bitcoin, um, then then it actually makes sense for like like other people. They can just look at the system and be like, oh yeah, it's not actually the system that failed. It's just the people who currently own MKR are, are horribly incompetent. So if I buy into this forced inflation that's happening now, I can take over a portion of the system and then I can use my influence to to actually set the the, the security param parameters correctly. Um, and yeah. Over time, no, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, okay, so my, my point was that, uh, so like this, this idea of like the total death of the system, right, the, the failure mode where the entire system completely dies is, is one where like, I'm, I mean, in the beginning, I'd say it's unlikely and it has that weird thing where, you know, even if, if like a major fraction of the die credit system for some so, reason yeah. uh, like no, no, dies. No, going. I'm going to ask about uh, in the And MKR the system isn't very well diversified. So, so it could be something like 20% of all die becoming under collateralized at once. The system might still have a chance to survive because in the beginning the MKR market cap is going to be so many orders of magnitude larger than the, the die supply because of all the like all the long-term um, all the long-term trading sentiment, basically, about the, around the, the value of a stablecoin, and in the long term, like the, the probability just in, like it just um, continuously decreases of having this complete failure mode because the diversification of the system will increase, right? So, so over time, black swan events will actually become more like they will actually happen more often, um, but they will also have much less of an impact on the system. So even like a total wipeout of a collateral type in the long run isn't actually going to mean much if let's say the system has like let's say the system has a hundred different types of collateral in it. 
uh, and each of them had each of them are backing one percent of all outstanding die. And then one of these collateral types just goes to zero, just completely wipes out and dies. Um, in order to make the system be sustainable in that scenario, all you actually need is an insurance rate of one percent per year. So, like, which is it's it's quite low if you compare it to how uh, central banks regularly set their discount rate, which is you can you can compare the insurance rate to the discount rate of central bank and central banks and growing economies usually have like between something like three or six percent is is not even uh, unreasonable. So it's actually like once you have enough diversification, total like total failures or extreme uh, crashes and collateral types are not actually. Like that bad as long as basically the long-term income is there through the insurance fee, as well as that that notion that the system can can adapt itself and change its governance over time to basically learn from its mistakes and just replace uh, bad stakeholders. This is obviously a uh, a really mature concept. How long have you guys been working on it for? Well, so I announced the e-dollar thing the e-dollar on ethereum on uh like in a reddit post a little bit more than a year ago it was um i think it was on, on 17th of march uh, last year and in that post i actually mentioned this maker dao entity but back then i was dealing with a significantly like i was i was basically just copying BitUSD and putting it on ethereum um, and and I, I sort of stayed playing around with that, not really being super serious with it until summer, when uh, Nikolai Mashigian, the lead developer, he uh, he showed interest, and and uh, he's we started working on it together, and that's where like with his help, um, we we were able to like create this extremely intricate and uh, I would say in a sense um, like holistic almost um model of uh, of a stable coin um, and 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 i would it, it's like so the reason why it, it it seems quite mature and it seems like it like it has all these like it has these various uh mechanisms in it that that fit together in an economic sense um it's because like our starting point is it's not just bitrusty but it's also just regular central banking and regular fiat currency and in a sense like if i should if i was was to um, compare the diet to another stablecoin. I think at this point, what it has most in common with is something like the U.S. dollar, or um, like basically a fiat currency backed by a central bank that is free floating. Because um, that's basically how the die works, except that it takes the central bank and replaces it with decentralized autonomous organization, and then it takes the collateral that in central banks are not. It's not really collateral. It's more like legal claims on financial institutions and replaces that with actual hard collateral sitting on the blockchain. So can you explain the, uh, the MKR token and how the governance of Maker operates? Right, so the MKR token is, one way to, de- to describe it is that the volatile coin in the system, right? So DAI is a stable coin, MKR is a volatile coin. Um, MKR is the token that takes on all the risk of the system and in return it also gets to profit from uh, users of the system. Uh, specifically the way it takes on the risk is through this uh, maker insurance scheme, right? Where if there is a black swan event and there is uh, a collateralized debt position, the smart contract that backs the die, that becomes under collateralized, meaning that it has less collateral than required to buy back all the die that it issued in the, in originally. What happens then is that the the MKR token basically has to pay for it, right? Then there's this uh, forced inflation and uh, emergency debt and all this stuff. But in a, in a way, the like the, the easiest way to explain it is just that MKR holders pay, uh, like have to pay for all bail- bailouts in the system. Um, that's basically, in a sense, is like tokenizing that specific function. So it's kind of like uh, if the like after the financial crisis when there had to be bailouts of the banks during that time. Um, it would be like as if suddenly the Fed became a public company and it started like putting up new shares, like people put up public shares in the Fed and then random investors could buy into that in order to finance the bailouts in return for like uh, a future claim to the income from uh, the Fed's business model. 
so it's so basically what happens is because it sounded a little bit when you mentioned inflation before uh, the way it worked before it sounded a bit like the uh, like the the die itself was going to inflate but what actually happens is if there is an under collateralization new uh, MKR tokens which are the representation of of stake in the system new MKR tokens are issued and used to buy back the die am I on the right track there yeah it's used to uh, you could say it's used to buy back the die. You could say it's used to basically buy the bad collateral at the fa- at like the the supposed value that it was it was meant to have, right? So so maker takes over the bad collateral, but has to pay uh, like the full price for taking it over. Oh, which is okay. The- yes, right now this is totally clear in my mind. That's uh, okay. So sorry, carry on. <laughs> um. So let me think. Um, so it. it- yeah, so like it's the best way to put to explain MKR is really as a it's like a stake in the insurance scheme, uh, and you get so so by holding MKR, you are exposed to the entire risk of the system as well as uh, the profitability of the system, and then because of that, okay, so let me get to governance, right? Because that, that's actually what you asked about before. So um, one of the core like principles that we believe make our system. Like very very long term sustainable and potentially like makes it inhabit a long term equilibrium in a way that something like central banks don't really do is that it's governed through it's governed through the principle of the regulators are also the insurers right so the people who set the rules of the system and who who mess around with the the risk requirements and collateral requirements and all that stuff they are the MKR holders they are the ones who have to pay the bill if something goes wrong. So if they decide to set some risky collateral type or, or something like start to to play around with the the financial system in the same way that um, that basically happened during the like leading up to the financial crisis, the people who set those rules and who decided to to mess around with them that way are the ones who have to pay the bailouts. So it's not something like the taxpayers or, or someone else who have to step in to do it, and, and this creates an incentive where like the the die holders have basically the same goals and the same incentives as the MKR holders. Like they, their incentives are aligned in a way that just makes them uh, benefit each other better, right? And the MKR like the MKR holders are actually not, for instance, um, motivated to to take on any short-term risk for like quick short-term gain because they know they have to pay the bill if if the system blows up. And in fact like the way because of it because it's a free market and it's frictionless and all this stuff the the effect will actually be immediate like if if the mkr holders begin to to like steer the system towards a, an unsustainable risk model then smart traders will see that immediately right it's all right there on the blockchain they can see how the collateral requirements are being reduced or how the debt ceilings are being set too high um and they will just exit because they'll be like yeah no i'm not going to have i'm not going to eat the inflation um, so the MKR price becomes a pretty good indicator of the overall stability and health of the system, assuming, of course, that the traders are rational and that they are able to to gauge this properly and figure it out, which is actually a very bold assumption. Uh, however, I think it can also it can also be said that over time the system sort of autonomously um, moves towards an equilibrium where. The people who hold MKR are also the people who are most, um, what is that called? Who has the best skills at managing it? Because if the if the if the current stakeholder base in MKR turns out to be highly inept, like highly inept and unable to probably handle it, then what's going to happen is it's going to blow up in the face, and they're going to be forced inflated, and they will just their stake will just be reduced, and this is something that will continue to happen until um, stakeholders come in. That are actually able to to sustainably manage the system. At which point it will consolidate, and they will just retain their stake. So how does the uh, how do the stakeholders manage the system? How how is that uh, how does that mechanism that governance mechanism operate? Um, I mean, so the very basic way that our governance system works it's is that it's a it's a voting system where one MKR just gives you one vote into the system and. Yeah, like I said earlier, the, the system is highly advanced, and and it's also very it's also dynamic in the sense that 
uh, at its core, there is actually sort of like a kernel, kind of like in an operating system, which is a, a single contract that has like full permissions to basically modify or change anything anywhere in the system and, and just like just like change the system to how it's, it's supposed to be. Uh, of course, leaving that ability open over time is not a good idea, right? We don't want a system that can randomly, dynamically change into all kinds of weird shapes. So in reality, it gets locked down. Like once we've deployed it and it's running, we slowly over time lock down the features of the system until we get to a point where the governance mechanism only controls the things that it needs to control, basically, and, and the system is fully mature and developed and sits on a blockchain in the shape that it's supposed to have for the long run. And in practice, how um, the system is governed is, I mean, through the community, basically, right? The community has all these different ways of, uh, of coordinating and, most importantly, of, of these uh, uh, framework like these ways to do that is what we call the governance meeting which um, I guess Kenny if if he's here he can uh, explain a little bit about that he is I think he's just uh, lurking in the background there are you there Kenny I am <laughs> well th- thanks for the introduction well, so I can I can explain that and and I'm Kenny uh, I said Kenny Rowe I'm the community representative for the maker DAO and how we that management meet or that governance meeting Rune was talking about that happens every Sunday morning in my time, but that happens. It's a global event, and we all come together in a, a Skype-like environment where we can all discuss the the agenda, which gets posted roughly about twelve hours before the meeting. We go through the agenda. These are all recorded. They're all published. The, there are IPFS hashes for each one of the meetings. And each one of the proposals is gone through. We discuss it. And if there is an action that needs to be taken, and specifically if there are funds that need to be moved or things that need to be defined, those are brought up. We, um, we don't actually take a vote at this point. Mostly it's, we're concerned about if there are any dissents or if there's any further debate needed. It's mostly a consensus process because we're still small at this point. Then once a decision is made, those actions are taken out. And right now, the, the rune is the primary point of action on the system before it's live. And after that, there will be a what we're calling an alpha dynasty, which is a group of it's a multi-sig of six individuals. And that is the will be the governing body. So the outcomes of those meetings will happen on the blockchain from that multi-sig account. From there, we'll probably move on to something much more decentralized as just a, a proposal that the entire MKR community can vote on to take action on the system. That's generally how the governance works at this point. That sounds pretty, uh, that sounds like, uh, like quite a pragmatic uh, compromise between the, um, the efficiency of centralization and a more, uh, a more um, distributed and forward thinking approach. Yeah, because the point is, this is all very new, and we don't really know what's going to work. There are a lot of ideas, but we need to experiment, and we need to do that in a step-by-step way to figure out what's the best way to, best way to do it. And we think right now, as the system is very young and mature, and it has a mature idea behind it, and it's got solid mechanisms, but to implement those things, it's easier and it's more agile if there's usually one or two people in this case, Rune, the founder, because he has the most at stake, right? So he has the most um, incentive to make sure that he's doing the right things by all of us because he has the one that, that has the most to lose if something goes bad. And over time, we're going to become more and more decentralized as the system matures. It's, it's, it's one of those bootstrapping mechanisms that we hope, just like the system economically, the governance system, we're trying to bootstrap that same way. Yeah, I'd like to add that um, like there's a very, I'd say, like uh, there's a good correlation between the maturity of the system and, and the, the amount of flexibility that it requires, as well as the risk of centralization. So in the beginning of, of a project, like when you have a really small project, let's say there's only one stakeholder, right? Then it's actually no problem that it's centralization because it's, there's only one guy, so it doesn't matter that he has central control. And in, in the, as, as like the system has been growing let's say something like three months ago, right? We were still a very small group of people. So everyone actually knew each other personally, more or less, right? Everyone had like strong uh, relationships with each other. And because of this, no one really, like there's not really any risk in, in letting individuals um, 
like just like act as centralized entities on on behalf of the DAO. Um, and this is because like they're like this is just because of standard like how standard organizational structures work, where where people trust each other and like you know people that do work they they get work done and they're not really in reality you you know most the vast majority of people are not the kind of crypto economic attackers that we we envision when we design crypto economic systems but as the system grows and becomes more and more valuable over time as well as gets more and more stakeholders and just becomes larger and and also more well known or like more important in the in the grander scheme of things it will actually start moving towards this sort of cold, rational, crypto-economic uh, desert where you actually can't trust anyone. And you need to make sure that the core mechanics of the system that sit on the blockchain are completely, like, are like, like I would say, like, I guess, like, like just strong, like, um, like steel or something, right? Where there's no mercy, there's no, like, soft... Uh, Governance of any kind. There's like direct control by by uh, by stake vote, where the basic like the basic assumption is that the people who hold MKR are like rational in the sense that they're not going to destroy their own um, their, their own asset, right? They're not going to pe- people who who hold MKR are not going to do stuff that just completely destroys the value of the MKR token. But we actually have like an additional security mechanism on top of that, which is um, like a security delay in the way that actions and, and changes to the system are, are, are done. So um, in a sense, it can be said that the system, is, the system assumes and is able to resist even like a corrupt or like a, an, an, an attacking stakeholder base. So even if the MKR holders decide that they're going to attack the die holders, like they're going to attack the system itself and they're going to try to steal the collateral or something or just destroy the system, um, that actually, like, the system can actually, like, mitigate that attack. And it does it through just not implementing the change uh, right away. It just has, like, this delay. And during the delay, all the people holding DAI and holding CDPs can then just exit the system. Like, they can just interact with each other and, and have all the, the DAI just exit circulation and all the CDPs uh, come unlocked and all the collateral leave the system. And then when the crazy thing that the MKR holders decide to do, when that actually executes and comes into effect, it's just no longer any die in the system, and there's nothing to destroy or steal. And that's another like strong um, game theoretical defense that basically makes it just completely infeasible because there's just nothing to gain by um, by attacking the system because of these uh, mechanisms that, that are set in. And then, of course, it doesn't mean like ultimately the system isn't infallible. Like it, it can potentially be attacked or be destroyed. Um, but what we are concerned with that it, it, we just want to make sure it doesn't happen assuming that the majority of people involved are rational, basically. So we don't care if, if it turns out that like everyone's completely crazy and everyone's irrational, then there's nothing we can do. We can't like protect it against like, like literally anything, but we can protect it against what has like the, the, by far the most probability, which is that everyone involved are like rational people who are greedy and, just act in their own self-interest and, and those kind of standard assumptions that generally makes the world go around in a sense. Thanks a bunch, Rune and Kenny. So where can people find out more about Maker? Well, you can you can find us on MakerDAO.com, which will have links to the white paper, which is a great introduction to how this system works on a technical basis. We also have a forum, forum.MakerDAO.com. You can find us on Reddit, on Twitter, on SoundCloud, where you can find all of our governance meetings. And of course, um, on TeamSpeak is where we have our weekly governance meetings on Sunday mornings for Pacific Coast time. That's uh, 8 a.m. Pacific Coast, but that's all around the world. So look up your local time zone. You can join us there. Uh, one last thing. Uh, when is the when are you guys going to have a crowd sale? We are actually already liquid. Like You can actually go in right now uh, on our own exchange platform and buy MKR. And we've like we've I'd say we're the first token that that started publicly trading in a sense. Like we, it's been possible for people to buy the MKR token. Um, I think since September October, like it has been publicly available for sale since then. We have just been very again I'd say stealth mode about it. Like we haven't really like we did actually advertise it on a Reddit ad, like right on the Ethereum subreddit, but it was still like in a, in a slightly roundabout way. 
And the reason for this has mostly been that because governance is so crucial to the system, we wanted to ensure that we didn't create like unreasonable hype during the, the early stages of the system and ended up getting like a stakeholder base that we couldn't, like, like we didn't know how to deal with in a sense, right? So, so what we have now is instead like a, it's a, it's a relatively small stakeholder base, but it's people who are all very well versed in the system and vested in it and, and who actively seeked out a stablecoin project and understood the value of it um, even in its early stages. Wait, so so do you want people to invest now or do you not want people to invest now? We we absolutely want people to invest now. And in fact, I would say what we have, like because we've been selling since the beginning, we have like this stakeholder base already. We What we have now is something that is really, I'd say, ready for the masses. Like we have something that we know it works. We have already a very strong stakeholder base initially. Like so, so we know that like that there's already like community members and and like it's um, and like capital in the system that represents uh, you know um, a network effect of people who understand what's going on and who can ensure that it's steered in the right direction. So at this point in time, like it's just like it's within like when we actually launch, which is happening in two weeks or whatever it's called. You know, it's happening very soon. Um, when that happens, there will be a direct link on our front page on our website that just points straight to an exchange, uh, which is branded like with our own brand, by the way. So it lo- it's like the Maker Exchange. You can go straight there, and you can trade uh, the die, and you can you can trade uh, MKR there, and you can buy into the system, just like Ether, for instance. No, this is actually based on a different blockchain than Ethereum called BitShares, which has like an inbuilt decentralized exchange. Show notes, credits, and links can be found at letstalkbitcoin.com and soon on etherreview.info. If you're on Twitter, at etherreview, email contact at etherreview.info. I could go on forever, but I'll give you just one more. The blockchain venture production studio Consensus has been good enough to employ me to produce media for them. One of our first initiatives is a general media site that collects and publishes the writings of their incredibly talented staff. There is a new podcast there too for you. Head on over to media.consensus, that's C-O-N-S-E-N-S-Y-S dot net to check that out.